Welcome to Brand Appeal, where we talk about brand storytelling in the digital age. So, Andrew, I want you to explain to me what Fangled Group does. Let's start with that. Fangled Group is a strategy-first global marketing and sales consulting firm, not an agency. How's that for a mouthful? That is a mouthful. What kind of problem would I have if I was to call you? The problems that we solve typically are companies that are stuck, that need to rethink who they are, that need to launch. Companies that want to create a global footprint and don't know what what are the proper little stones to step on to cross the creek without getting your feet wet. We become part of their organization to get them either to the next level out of a ditch or growing into, into a global player in the marketplace. That's great because, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that are, they start up, they get going, they start making some money, they can get out of their, their mom's basement and they just don't know what to do. We were talking the other day, you know, what is the, the core problem that seems to be at the heart of most businesses that are stuck? What's the sort of the common thread, the common theme? And it's people who mistake themselves for their brand as opposed to recognizing who their customer really is and knowing knowing how to how to brand in relation to how the world sees them. I'm glad you brought up branding because that's the big piece of what I wanted to talk to you about. Oh, uh, you should have told me. <laughs> <laughs> and here I thought the name of the podcast gave it away. <laughs> oh, there's a name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. A lot of times we small businesses or professionals or we ourselves mm -hmm. tell our brand story from our point of view. Mm -hmm. We're telling what we think is important and the customer is going, okay, so what is it that you do? I'm not really yeah. sure what it is that you do. Yeah. Like having companies make sure that their message is clearer. I, I used to have behind me and before I went to the virtual studio, I used to have a poster that I made years ago that said, remember, you are not your market. And, and people would look at it and go, what the hell does that mean? I say, well, you know, think about it from music. We all have music that we love and music that we can't stand. Yeah. So if we're gonna open up a music store, of course nowadays there's no music stores, but <laughs> if you're gonna open up a store to sell music, are you gonna only sell what you like? Or are you gonna put stuff on the shelf that you don't like because you know the market likes it? So I, an example, I, uh, years ago, a company it was a, uh, an online car dealership getting started. Mm -hmm. And the guy was really into Merlin and the Knights of the Round Table. And everything about his brand looked like a castle and dragons and all of this kind of stuff. And he, everybody thinks it's cool. Yeah, but and what did he sell? Cars, okay. automobiles. So we, we did a market study. We <laughs> went to the community and we wanted to know customer focus, what perceptions people had. And we had about a dozen car dealerships. Mm -hmm. And consistently, consistently, we couldn't find a single person who thought that that brand meant something to them. Most, most people who, who looked at his material or were aware of his business was, I wouldn't do business with that guy, he's hokey. <laughs> um, you know, unless you're only selling cars to people who, who are into medieval times and, and Renaissance fairs, yeah, the brand didn't speak to anybody. But to him, it was the coolest thing in the world. And to his friends. 
because oh, yeah. well, I don't know if he had any friends, but that's a whole other story. You bring up a good point because my brother lives in a in a small town where a lot of rich people live. Mm -hmm. And there was a realtor there. My mom used to be a realtor. So we we're up there. My brother's showing my mom this video that this guy's made. And it's this commercial where he goes from one thing to the other thing, like the old spice guy, you know how the old spice guy mm -hmm. goes from one thing to another. So he's doing that and he's like, oh, I drive a nice car and I can get you the most money. And he's pretending to be the wolf of real estate instead mm -hmm. of the wolf of Wall Street. So we had a good little bit of laugh on that. And then another, I was up there again and Blake goes, yeah, look at his ad. He's got a testimonial in there. So I looked at the newspaper with his ad in it. And the testimonial was, he's not as big of an ass as I thought he was going to be. So his whole persona wasn't him. Mm -hmm. He was trying yep. to be something that he thought rich people would want to see. And in the process, he came across with as an arrogant jerk. Yeah, it's, it's very common. So, you know, the first step of any project is to know who your ideal customer is. Mm -hmm. And many times when we talk to, to clients on day one, and say, who's your ideal customer? They don't know. They or who they tell us their ideal customer at the end of our research and, and work towards helping them grow their business turns out to be incorrect. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't remember who it was. There's a quote out there. Somebody will look it up and then get mad because I'm saying it. And I'm not attributing the right person, but <laughs> it's your something like your, your brand is what they say about you when you're not in the room. Yes, I heard that today. Did you? I, I don't know who said it. Whoever he was, he probably other things were, were dopey, but that one was good. Yeah, is the same thing as what other people think about you as none of your business. Yeah, on the same line, <laughs> on the same line. It's so important, you know, and, and the brand is more than, you know, I've, I've gone into sessions with with folks. Oh, you're, you guys are branding experts. What Could your branding team make me a logo? And you go, well, the logo represents your brand, but most people think that's what a brand is. Yeah. That aren't in the, in the branding space. And the logo is the last step on the, on the, on the challenge of really understanding who you are and what you are. Exactly. It's, or what one I love is, so tell me what your core values are. Yeah. And they throw out some buzzwords that they think some client is going to like to hear. <laughs> yep. And then I go, okay, so what does that word mean to you? And it's like, uh, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. Or they'll, they'll, they'll define it. And it's like, well, tell me a story about a time when you exemplified that value in your business so that we can create a story around that. And they don't have an answer. And this is where we have a miscommunication. This is when you get customer service problems. Yeah, yeah. And and at the end of the day, also the a brand is is only as good as the most the most disgruntled guy on your team that day. Mm -hmm. Not only have you developed what is your core brand and what it means to the community and the market, the core of everything we do at Fangled is really about converting every touch into a voracious advocate for that brand. And every touch is not just the folks who do business with you. True. You know, it's 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 not every customer. Mm -hmm. It's everyone you reach out to. And the best, the great example of it, I've done free consultations for folks. I call it the pick my brain session. I usually can do one or two of those a week where if someone just wants to flesh out an idea for 30 minutes, I do it. It's a sort of a guilty pleasure because it always hones my skills mm -hmm. to be able to get to the core of an issue and try to help in a very short period of time. It's kind of like like an exercise, but for them, it's an opportunity to bounce an idea off of someone. Yes. And many, many times I've had people take on the free session, mm -hmm. been helped and never signed on with Fangle to do any more work with us. But 
a month later, I get an email from someone or I get a connect on LinkedIn going, hey, so-and-so recommended you because of your insight. We've got this problem. Can you help us solve this problem? Because that guy became an advocate for the Fengal brand because they saw it as open, helpful, and functional. And with that skill set that people look for to get unstuck. So yeah, it's networking without intent. Mm -hmm. It's being open to opportunities wherever they come from, instead of walking into a room and going, oh, these aren't my people turning around and walking out again. Yeah, you have to know who your target market is. But at the same time, you don't know who knows your target market. Yeah. And the other the other side of it is, you know, a contractor who comes onto a, into a factory to do some work, the guy cutting the grass in the parking lot, the cleaning crew, the people who, if you have a cafeteria are cooking for you, mm -hmm. the guy who brings beverages from the service company, all of those people who you touch should be advocates for your brand. Yeah. I, I can tell you stories when I was in the steel drum industry where the fellow who came and serviced our beverage machine at the office would go to a chemical company. And he would say, oh, you guys use steel drums. Do you know these guys? Oh, no, I never heard of them. And the next thing we know, we're getting a call going, hey, we've got a problem with this. How did you hear about us? The guy stocking my vending machine. What happened? We treated him the same oh, way we, we would treat the greatest customer in the world. Got him excited about our business, made him love coming to our office all the time. And he became an advocate for our brand. And he was out recruiting business for us. He became so, a brand ambassador, a complete absolutely. brand ambassador. Absolutely. The best example of it is luxury products. Mm -hmm. How many people out there are a brand advocate for Ferrari and are never in their life going to own that, that silly car? I see a lot of those cars right by my, by my window. <laughs> yeah. How many, how many uh, women out there will, will talk about a specific designer brand like the Birkin bag or yeah. whatever that 90% of the world, 99% of the world could never afford, but because they're followers and, and, and advocates for it, it makes the people who can afford it want it even more. Mm -hmm. They become more apt to buy it because they get to impress all those people. They've been talking a lot about the metaverse, which we've had the metaverse yeah. for a while, but now they're talking about brands being represented in the metaverse and mm -hmm. buying that car that we can't afford in the real world, but we can afford it in the metaverse. Do you think people are going to do that? I mean, they are. To me, if you're going into something like that because you want to pay and own digital vision of a car, I, I question your ability to understand value and consumerism. But yeah, I mean, I'll give you an example. The, the Back when I was young, Dungeons and Dragons was born. I mean, we're talking uh -huh. I don't know, a long time ago. It was dice and, and, a, and a board. And yeah, cards. and it was, yeah, and it was, I mean, we're, was it 40 something years ago? And you would get the guys who do that to brag about how they are now a magic user or whatever the, that's the only one I can kind of remember from, from mm -hmm. hearing it because they've become that. Mm -hmm. That's my, I've earned that and whatever. And it's nothing, it doesn't, there's no certificate, there's no form, there's no, but they were so into what it was that it became part of who they were. Yeah. Part of, part of their brand, the metaverse and kids will spend hours and hours on these games. Was it Fortnite and those things? creating these icons and these characters to represent themselves. And we, they will spend money on them. Where, yeah. you know, uh, like the metaverse has been around for a while and there was this uh, metaverse that I tried out a decade or so ago and Coca-Cola and all those things were trying to get their brand in mm -hmm. this thing, but it wasn't catching on. Our generation is not gonna spend money on virtual stuff. It makes yeah. no sense to us, yep. but our children, I mean, not mine, but 
<laughs> I hope not mine. <laughs> we'll go and do that because they've been buying little things for their, and it starts when they're really little because Penguin. I remember that with my, my youngest. You know, the, the Penguin World, or we would buy those, they were stuffed animals and they went online and they came with a little. Oh yeah. I yeah. That. So we had tons of these beanie babies. Well, they weren't beanie babies, but they were some sort of. Well, let's, let's, let's turn it around. Our generation, some guy was able to get people to buy pet rocks. True. And if you ask a millennial or a Gen Z, they'll go, what you paid Eight. for music? <laughs> you paid for CDs and movies? Why wouldn't you just stream? Oh, I mean, the, the, the thing the is, is, we won't even, my, okay. So my mom, mm -hmm. but you know, the new Apple computer and it comes with Apple TV for a year. And I was like, this is stupid. You have to rent things and buy them. And I'm like, yeah, you got so used to streaming that the idea of renting one movie. Yeah is it, it's a barrier yep. and yet we rented movies when i was a teenager for years every yeah time. yeah it was it was who we are who mm -hmm. we were when the video stores first opened it was the greatest thing in the world hey i worked in a video store because but prior to that you sat around hours and hours until that show came on and you had to wait for the commercials to relieve yourself now how many how many channels did you have as a kid we had they were on VHF. We had three in UHF. We had two. We had two. They were both about uh, maple syrup manufacturing and bacon. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> or how to eat donuts. Yeah, one was CBC and one was CTV. So, you know, <laughs> it's not any different than it is today. <laughs> I had to throw in a Canada Jet. <laughs> well, so, you know, we would sit there for Saturday morning and we'd watch cartoons. Yeah. And for Sunday night, we would watch Wonderful World of Disney. Cause that was yeah, the yeah. big thing to watch. I was on, I think it was Prime and they had Fraggle Rock. The new Fraggle Rock. I'm like, no way, they've redone the Fraggle Rock. Let me check this out. I didn't even get through an episode. I'm like, we watched that? Yeah. <laughs> we thought it was good. Well, my, my wife and I have started, you know, she she grew up in, in, in another country, but with, with the new streaming services that are out there, Tubi and IMDB, they've got all of these old shows from like the 1970s. Yeah. But when I was a little kid, everyone we knew watched The Waltons. Yes. And I remember as a kid, it was just this sappy family thing and I never watched it. So we decided to watch The Waltons and we've been watching the first season of it. And it actually was really well-made television. Mm -hmm. Night, John and, Boy. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that wasn't, they didn't do that in the first season. Oh, they do, they do that in the first season? No, that oh. came, I think that came later, but that was what I remembered. And the funny thing is, you know, you talk about branding. Yeah. The brand, the the theme music to shows. The yes. moment I watched the first episode of The Waltons and I heard that melody, it put me right back in that place. It's such a strong anchor to their brand of what that show was. That music, because I heard it so many times as a kid, I recognize more as The Waltons and the, and the Goodnight John Boy. Yeah. Than I did because I was a little kid. The show was over and it was my bedtime. Yeah. And I remember my brother and I were going, come on, we want to see the scenes the next week. We want to see the scenes. And then you'd hear the music and you'd go to bed. Yeah. And that was, that was you know, as a little kid, we I distinctly remember it. And it's completely jogged back by that anchor of that theme music, which is such a core part of, of the Walton's brand. And how did that make you like that feeling, that emotion? Like what, what emotion does that, that provide well, it's, for you? It's, it's there's a that sort of nostalgic sort of happy youth sort of thing you feel like like something like home like you've you've walked back into the into history mm -hmm. it's, it's quite fascinating 
Yeah, that's the brand. I was I was talking to someone who was looking at, at coming up with a new form. Uh, it was a, a potential client that ended up not getting funded, but they were trying to do a website specific to competing with Ancestry.com and Family Tree and all of those, a much simpler interface for people to build their family trees. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that those other sites lack in, in the way that they portray themselves that we saw as a competitive advantage was how do you build the tree in a way that brings back the nostalgic memories of those folks more than just a photo and a birth certificate. Yeah. So they were looking at how, how do we build this family tree where you can have family anecdotes and upload a lot more things so that when someone looks at it, it's much more personal. It tested beautifully among people interested in genealogy as what was missing. They just didn't get the funding to get the, the company off the ground. The, the, the administrative team that was trying to build the business just wasn't, wasn't there. Those brand anchors of getting you to feel mm -hmm. the weather. And even if you had a horrible youth, you may hear the, the, the Walton's theme and, and that could trigger that one positive memory Yes. as if you're doing your family tree and you're thinking about Aunt Martha and there's a story that's wonderful that someone had put into that collaborative tree, even though you have bad family member or indifference, all of that matters. Yeah. And it's those stories and it's really hard because I come from a family that's like four generations in the same town and mm -hmm. my parents live in the house that my great grandfather built and all that. So family is kind of roots and deep roots and are really important and we know little bits and pieces of family but those things that we don't know are the ones the things that i'm really interested in like why yeah. did you leave ontario to come here yeah or, and what was it like having to travel it was because it, it was so different than it is today yeah and so far yeah and it's yeah. those stories because there's a real disconnect from family as well sure sure so. and we did we did a family genealogy there's the, the short of the story is Every year, my brother and I take our dad to dinner. He's still he's still alive. And at dinner, we would ask him questions and try to learn a little bit. Yeah. His great-grandfather had, I'm sorry, his grandfather, my great-grandfather, yeah. had two brothers. And one of them didn't join the family business and went west. And he couldn't remember the name. And my, my grandfather's passed away, so he didn't know. But completely separated from the family. So yeah, that was the spark for me to do the investigation. And okay. the short of it is, through tons of different work, I was able to find who he was, where he went and reconnect with, I mean, direct, you know, cousins yeah. that had no idea that they had family. And that's really and, cool. Yeah. Because like, but, I'd be the family, because that's exactly what happened mm -hmm. in my family as well, except for my great grandfather was the brother that left. Yeah, so. But the fascinating part of it was when we finally met up and we sat across the table, you could tell it was family. Yeah. You could see mannerism, ideals, there, there was a definite immediate connect. And then of course it went beyond and, and I found that part my the fam my family immigrated to the States in, in the late uh, mid, mid to late 1800s. Well, genetics found a first cousin in Canada. Well, my second great grandfather had two brothers of which their families went to Prince Edward Island and then out, out West. So- cool. But, but there would have never been an opportunity to know. And, and the genetically, we're, I mean, there's no question that we're, yeah. we're directly related. But because of the interest in that and, and that whole feeling of family and nostalgia, we've connected with family that are, and by the way, figured out, I think it's five, fifth great grandfather from the 1700s we were able wow. to trace back to. You know, it's all, all that stuff is, is fascinating going back to what we were talking about in that those, those family connections 
in so many ways and consumer brands are what they're missing to get people interested in those products. Well, yeah, because everything that you were talking about, all those stories, all that, all those mm -hmm. people that came before you, mm -hmm. define who you are and define yep. your brand story. Yep. So if our brands don't know where they came from, or if they let go of their, their past history, or they forget what their core reason for being is, in mm -hmm. other words, our friendly little, little business called Facebook, mm -hmm. which has become such a huge, oh, we're this, we're that, we're a marketplace, we're a dating site, we're a messenger, we're a, mm -hmm. a business, we're this, we're that. Yeah. And what was the one reason that most people joined Facebook? Well, to see if their ex-girlfriends turned into monsters. <laughs> exactly. You know, we, I, you know, I've got a buddy who says that he goes, Facebook only exists to prove to me that I dodged a lot of bullets in my youth. <laughs> <laughs> and he means both guys. And there was a, an old friend of his who parents always warned him about. Yeah. And they were right. <laughs> they were right. Doesn't that just, doesn't that piss you off when you find out that your parents were right? <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's, yeah, and it's it's become it's become a way of of dividing and separating. Hmm. When really, when it when it first came out, if it's you didn't connecting. have if you didn't have an email address that was tied to a college, you couldn't join Facebook. Yeah, because it was about hooking up at college. It was about connecting. It was about finding yeah. the connections and staying connected with people in your life. But it's not that anymore. Yeah. Well, remember in the early years of Facebook, you could wave and you could poke somebody. Yes. And, do, and all of that has, has disappeared because now it's it's something completely different. It's morphed into what it is. Yeah. And people are saying, okay, well, this isn't really what I signed up for. Yeah. And then they created this name Meta to try to distract us from all the bad things that they were doing. Brand can start out with good intentions mm -hmm. and then something can happen along the way when they yeah. lose sight of their core reason for being mm -hmm. and their purpose. Yeah. Social media. That's where we met. I met you on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Before we started this, we were talking about people kind of pretending that the great everything's great or they're trying to be influencers. Where do you think influencer marketing is going? Are brands kind of catching on to the, the one viral post really doesn't do anything for them? Yeah, I think in the consumer space, they have not caught on to what BS a lot of the influencer stuff is out there. And in the in the commercial space, LinkedIn space, people are starting to recognize the the emperor has no clothes. Mm -hmm. my, my experience has been the guys that are the loudest in terms of listen to me because I lead out of abundance and I'm and then in a one to one session they're you know, I really need help. I'm broke. I'm trying to find a job and, and I can't get any clients. And and then you look at their next post and they're talking about these massive deals that they're working on and how successful they are. And people can see right through it. But can um, they? I think so, because if they couldn't, these guys would be landing clients and making money off of their their nonsense. Um, okay. It's like in the old days, I used to say, you know, most business consultants read Sun Tzu and, and apply it to something. And or they've read a, a Tony Robbins book, which every Tony Robbins book is a theft of Bander and Grindler from uh, the NLP days. And, okay. and they can quote seven things out of it. And all of a sudden they're a consultant. Well, what happened with COVID was, and, and as a guy who's been in that consulting space for, for years and years, very successfully, mm -hmm. all of a sudden I would go to bid on, on a potential piece of business. And there are six guys I never heard of. And all six of them, when you look them up on LinkedIn, they lost their job. So now they're a consultant, but it's a different mindset and it's a different process than being an employee. 
Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of people, I, and, and, and I know it sounds odd to say, but I'm not sure that they realize that they really don't have that exact skill set that they need to be successful. They don't know how to price their services. They don't know how to, how to create the value. They don't know how to present, but they do know how to get the deal by being cheap and, and kind of prostituting the, what do you call it? The, the actual, the system. Yeah. It's, so, it's like the first, the fastest way to the bottom. Yeah. So we picked up, we picked up about six months into COVID. Mm-hmm. We started picking up clients that had just been burned by somebody who didn't know what they were doing. And yeah, I get that look, a lot. Yeah. And we look on Facebook and we look on LinkedIn. And these are the guys that are out there boasting about how they've never had an unsuccessful consultation. And, you know, that they continue in that, in that place. One of the projects that we picked up, they said to us, we've got a guy who's floundering we're under contract with. Can you get involved to help him revise his data and, and finish the study? And that was the first time I really realized he had no idea what he was doing. And he admitted it to us. Please don't tell the client. But we got involved in this and I don't know how to get this information. I don't know how to put it together. And together we we built the the process and, and, and advanced his ability as a consultant because he didn't have any. He had been an employee in a marketing division of a company uh, that sold cosmetics. Mm-hmm. And he was very good at his job, smart guy, understands the branding process and all of it as an employee of a company. Didn't have the skill set or the training to walk into something outside of his scope of knowledge and ask the right questions to get what he needed to then bring the team together and and focus on on how to grow that business. Lack of honesty internally, not externally. What you just said there is a big piece is because when you, you can sell yourself as a freelancer, which is Mm -hmm. kind of what I do. It's like, okay, you want, you want a blog post? I can write that for you. You want someone to help you define your brand and build out your digital footprint, no problem. I'm not going to come in and say, okay, I'm a consultant because mm-hmm. that's not my skill set. I yep. don't know what that means. Yeah. The most powerful thing a consultant does in the first meeting is to say, I really don't know your industry. Mm-hmm. And that gives fresh set of eyes. Let me ask the questions to see what I can see that you're not able to see so close to the problem. That's, that's really what we do. You're uncovering problems that they can't well, see. Yeah. A lot of times we're solving problems that they're aware of. Normally, the problem that presents in the consult is a symptom of what's going on within the organization. And by understanding it as a symptom and digging deeper, and then because we've got a diverse background in hundreds of companies that we've worked with, either as clients, customers, or research subjects, we've got this vast network of places to go and get information and understand. So I'll I'll give you an example. I, I, I can't share what the industry was. But it's a company, we just, just completed the project. Uh, so there, there was a company that, that remanufactures a component that's used in a piece of equipment for warehousing and, and material handling, mm-hmm. okay? So they're, they're in the business of getting these items before they're completely destroyed, reconditioning them and selling them back into the market. That's what they do. The end of the study really said They wanted to understand because their business is totally dependent on getting these items before they're at the end of their life so they can bring them back. So they were looking at the end of the life cycle of that product. Where do we get it? How do we get these people to call us when it's time? And the focus of the study was to understand new manufacturers of that product, the people who make the equipment that, that come with it inside of it, the replacement market and all of it. And the answer to their problem was, you need to be at the beginning of the life cycle. Mm. People, the day they're buying that piece of equipment, 
years away from needing to get rid of it, need to know that that part of the, the equipment has value and, and how to keep it at peak performance and what is in it for them. So our entire focus of, of our su suggestions had almost nothing to do with trying to get those guys at the junkyard that might have it or get it at the end of the lease or whatever. That's important and that can be grown, but what could happen if you became the category expert that people go to the day they buy to understand it and know you through the cycle so that you have the ability to get it before it gets to the end. You know, it's and we paralleled it off of so many other industries that we've been involved with. Mm -hmm. Even even the old days of the copier salesman, of course, nobody's using paper anymore, but it used to be if you were a copy salesman or sales salesperson, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm stuck in gender mode. If you're the, if you're the, if you're the, the copy sales human, yeah. knowing even a week after someone got a new copy machine, the date that they got it in the end of their lease, you now had your prospecting for three years from now. Because mm -hmm. in the copier world, a copy machine made X number of copies a month would last for X number of months with a lease this long. So if you were able to build a database, when you say to someone, they go, I don't need a copier, I got two more years on my lease, thank you. Because the typical company that sold that copier would be in touch 60 days before the lease was over. I would be there if I was in that industry, which I was not, 90 days prior and buy out the last month of the lease with my machine folded into the deal and beat them to being able to replace the equipment. Not only would you sell the new equipment before their lease was up and get in, but you would package it and get it ready to be picked up at the end of the period. So you'd come in on the day to replace the machine, you'd pack theirs up beautifully, get it on their loading dock, and, and the other guy would be stuck with no customers. So knowing that in terms of getting in front of the food chain yeah. was the marketing strategy of, of the business. The, the greatest thing someone can tell you is the date their lease was up. And if you're smart enough, yeah. you can get that through. And But it's a communication. So that's a training thing where some sales would have to train their sales team to know that, to ask those questions, and then to know how to put that into the CRM and make yeah. sure that they're, they're following up and they're building yeah. that relationship from point A to point B. Yeah. When it comes to branding, and like you were talking about touch points before, and how people should behave as an employee of a company or a representative yeah. of the company, how can companies or leadership communicate what that brand value system is and what they expect their employees to actually deliver? You know, there's a lot of different ways to answer that. First of all, it starts with hiring the right people. Mm -hmm. You, you want to make sure people are a cultural fit. I, a great example, guy comes into an interview, has all of the, the, the boxes checked. But in the interviews, constantly telling you about what miserable bosses they had, or I left this job because I was growing like crazy, but they didn't recognize my talent. They, the, the, that ego stuff that that, yeah. that comes out. It's difficult with folks that blame their their progression in their business, and I joke blame, even though they've gone up in the world, on others. The chances of them speaking fondly of you during or after, they're not. They don't usually become great brand advocates. So mm. you can look. You can look at the psych not a psych evaluation, but the, your psychological connection with the person. Is this someone capable of advocating for the brand? And that goes down to, again, whether it's an executive, middle management to somebody who's in very simple labor positions within your organization. So hiring is part of it. The second is, how do you nurture and coach? What, what are you doing in terms of getting them to the next level? Mm -hmm. I would never hire a guy unless there was some sort of mental challenge that they really just needed a very basic job 
that that's all they're going to be capable of. Mm -hmm. I never hire anyone without a vision of them being able to get to the next level and treat them as that. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're doing this job because you're going to move up. And it, it creates that that future of benefit based on their performance. Now, hiring people to move up just because, you, oh, you've been here six months, now you get the next job. That's that's a different. <laughs> that's a union. No, not, not so much anymore. <laughs> well, definitely <laughs> but, was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, seen, I've seen union situations that have been really beneficial to companies, and I've seen others where it exactly fits that stereotype. So, so that's part of it. And the other is, how do you treat them on the day-to-day -day at work? I'll give you an example. One of the things that I think is, is insane that companies do, uh, I worked with an organization that had vending machines in the building. Yeah. And the stuff in the vending machine was expensive, like it would be anywhere else. And at the end of the year, they would have their holiday party, and all of the prizes for the families were bought with the profits from the vending machine. And everyone knew it. You say, wow, wow, you can win prizes at the end of the year. Yeah. And you go, well, that's not really a gift. It's you've made me pay for it. I'm the guy who goes to the vending machine. I'm buying my own my own holiday presents. So things that even even as simple as that turn the employees to be like, whatever. Another example, the, the company will have a coffee pot. Everybody can drink coffee during the day. It's a benefit. Sales are down in May, 25 cents a cup or you can't have coffee. And oh. it, you know, simple, simple, petty things that businesses do that they think are cost savings, but lower the satisfaction and the smile. You want your employees to get in the car in the morning and think, I'm going to work, not I'm going to work. <laughs> you, you know, one of my, the main business that I'm working with now, Smart Soda. Companies buy their product and give it to their employees because it, it reduces the churn. They get a healthy something to drink uh, every day that they really love with all these really neat benefits they, and, and they love it. I've even talked to past you know customers that have been been involved for a while, and, and they'll go, God, I wouldn't go somewhere else. I get I'm not I'm not drinking cokes out of a vending machine. I like this. All of those things that you can do to make the employee feel good about going to the office in the morning. Yeah. I don't know if you ever had a bad job where you get in the car in the morning and you're going, I really don't want to go there. If you're encouraging resume writing through the way you conduct business, chances are you're not going to have advocates for your brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a lot to be said in how you treat your employees and, and hiring the right people. But today, like when you're hiring the right people, companies will Google and they look at personal brands mm -hmm. in order to determine you have a personal brand and you start your personal brand right when you start needing work, but that's already too late. Do personal brands really help people get employed or promoted? Do personal I'm, brands benefit them? I, I think that they do, but I think more so a bad personal brand harms them. Mm -hmm. Like for example, no matter where your politics lie in your country, whether you're a conservative or you're a Trudeau guy, mm -hmm. or in our country, whether you're a Trump or a Biden or a right or a left or whatever, yeah. if you make that publicly known on places where people can find you, chances are you got a 50-50 chance of turning off somebody because of this brand that you've created as a political junkie. The other side, you may find that one guy who goes, oh, he's for this guy, so he's for me. Yeah. But but even so, I've, I've had the conversation with, with people on the recruiting side of a business. And he said, but he's so vocal about it. I don't want him in my company. Yeah, we agree 100% on these issues, but not in my company because I know I have customers he'll turn off. Yes. Yes. So, and that, that's, that's a big thing. How much do you know about what's going on in Canada right now? A bit. A bit. Right now, we have a lot of disgruntled truckers uh -huh. who are who have parked their vehicle, their truck, 
uh, in Ottawa and they're not going home and they're mm -hmm. really loud and it's, you know, on the trucker side, they're going to say, hey, look, we're just having fun. We're cleaning up after ourselves. We're just here until they mm -hmm. stop the mandate. And on the other side, of course, they're like, oh, well, they're racists and Nazis. And anyway, there's this whole thing that's went on, right? Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know enough about it, but yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things what we had last summer was protests that happened out in front of hospitals and they mm -hmm. were attacking, not attack, not physically attacking, but they were intimidating hospital staff. And that was on the right hand side of political spectrum, which is mm -hmm. where these truckers are. And they decided, okay, well, we're going to support Ottawa by driving into Vancouver, which is extremely left in all of BC, but there's just one little spot that's extremely left. And they decided to come here. Well, a bunch, uh, somebody made the decision to ask all the hospital workers to stay inside, to not go outside with their uniforms on, to do whatever they could because the truckers were going to be coming to do something. Mm -hmm. This got out onto social media. Cyclist saw it, said, hey, well, let's let's stop this. Let's get in their way so they can't get to the hospitals. So we had cyclists versus semi-trucks. Yep. Stopping traffic. During that drive, there was a vehicle that somebody took a picture of and put it out to social media because that's what everybody was doing. Anyone that had had a truck with the corporate name on it was getting put onto social media. This one was a surprise to the owners of the company mm -hmm. because it wasn't an employee that was driving their truck. It was the employee's husband who hmm. grabbed the company truck and decided that he would participate. So he stole the truck from his wife's company. Borrowed. I was like, stole to me, but okay. <laughs> Semantics. <laughs> potato, potato. Hey, I'm trying to be nice. I don't have. <laughs> I'm down here in the States, so he can't come get me. We won't right. let him across the border. I've already had this fight on Twitter. I don't need to have it again. <laughs> well, you tell that Canuck to stay out of my country. <laughs> All this hate starts going directly towards emails, phone calls, and people saying, well, we don't believe him. We think that's him driving the car. It was insane because yeah. how upset they were. And But does that harm a brand? Do you think, or does that just give his brand this funny story that gives him free publicity? I, you know, I, I do believe that any publicity is publicity until it, it hits an extreme. Mm -hmm. So, so something like that, you get your name, you get your brand out there. People hear it, they'll recognize it. Maybe later they won't. Um, now, same guy. And of course I know this isn't this guy, mm -hmm. but same, same, same scenario now, hypothetical. And he's got a Nazi flag hanging out the window. Yeah. And on the other side, he's got a clan banner mm -hmm. out the window. Now you've crossed the line. Now all these people are taking pictures of all these trucks and putting it on mm -hmm. websites and social media. Now, is this gonna harm those businesses when they come back or when things settle it down? Could. It could, but it also may bring out advocates for the same opinion. Again, my perfect example of it is you'll look at a truck from a plumbing company or an electrician going down the road. And every once in a while, you'll see a religious symbol or a quote from whatever their religious scriptures is on it to let you know that they're party to that religious ideal of whatever level. Mm -hmm. And if you're a person of a different religion or a person who doesn't think that that's appropriate for a business to be mixing what they do with their, their religious ideology, you'll run away. You'll never do business with them. But if 
there's a big enough population of people that find that to be beautiful, they may choose that company over the other because it's there. Mm -hmm. Now I attest that I don't care. And, and I'll, I'm going to give you a story. So I, I was in college. I was working at a hardware store Yeah. In, in the town where I was. And the owner of the store was a very sort of religious guy, talked about his religion all the time, going to church. He was involved in his church, all this stuff. And a guy walked into the hardware store. And at that time, they still offered store credit, not with the bank. And they had like a Rolodex, which is a little wheel with, with cards that they would keep track of people's credit. Yeah. And a guy came in and he said, my toilet is broken and I need parts to fix my toilet. Can I get credit in your store? And it was probably going to be $50 worth of stuff. And the store owner said, sure, fill out this application. And the guy says, well, I, you know, I, I don't have time to fill it out, but I, I really need the credit. I need to go fix my toilet. He said, well, do you have any credit references? And he said, uh, well, I am a good Christian and I always pay my bills. And he said, I'm sorry, without a credit application, um, I, I, I can't offer you credit. You have to, you have to pay cash. And the guy pissed off, angry, run, walks out of the store. And the, the owner turns to me and he says, this is a life lesson, Andrew. I said, what's that? He goes, if your only credit reference is Jesus, uh, it's cash only. <laughs> now, this is a guy who's extremely, extremely polished, extremely very much involved in his church and his belief. Yeah. And, and, and listen to what he said. If your only reference is. That's right. But, but that's, you know, it, it, the brand of, of, of using your religiousness as your part of your personal brand can be a benefit it can also backfire like crazy yeah so so you know uh, comedians typically stay away most comedians will stay away from um, misogynistic and and uh political ideology jokes earlier in their career because they don't want half the people in the room to hate them now once you've grown and you're known for us and you know who your fan base really is and you know that your brand is let's bash right wingers or let's bash yeah. left wingers then it becomes a part, very powerful part of your brand but you got to know your audience well I mean, we're having the problem in the states right now or spotify's having that problem in the states right now yeah and um they're taking a well we're just the platform which is the, mm -hmm. the stance that they should be taking i mean that is what yeah. they are but yeah. I think what it comes down to is these brands know their target market. Mm -hmm. And that, that I had this, this conversation hypothetically about what Spotify is doing. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't, I'm not a Joe Rogan fan. I think a lot of the stuff he says is, is completely off base. I think, I think this anti-vax kind of stuff that he supported is dangerous, but I remain a Spotify okay. customer. Is he anti-vax? Cause I had somebody, I said he was anti-vax this morning and someone said, no, 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 he's pro-vax. He's just anti-mandate. He's thrown extreme cloud that the vaccine is dangerous. And I've, 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 listened, to I've lived, listened to bits and pieces. If people want okay. to make up what they want. But he's he's said things that, that I don't agree with. Yeah. But I remain on Spotify because there's lots of other things on there that I really like to listen to. Like so, my show. Yeah, your show, my show, the, the music show. I listen to. That's right. Uh, this week, three bands that I love put out new albums. I was able to listen to them the moment that I that they were available because because of it's a great service and I pay for it mm -hmm. um, and I'm happy to pay for it. Now, here's the thing. If in fact you don't want to be on Spotify because someone who says horrible things is on there, then you can't subscribe to cable TV because there's True. a news network you hate. Mm -hmm. There's one you'll love. And again, I don't know which is which. I'm talking it's about the individual. 
You may be an atheist who's absolutely insulted by televangelists. Mm -hmm. You may be an evan evangelical person who's offended by all the shows that have nakedness and, and debauchery. All of that happens. So it, it, when something is a platform to say, I won't be party to it because it's there. And again, now we take it to the next extreme. If tomorrow Spotify starts sponsoring, and they're not, mm -hmm. uh, podcasts that support killing women for honor killings. And then they have a show on there about the Klan. And they have a show mm -hmm. on there specific to growing the Nazi movement in America. They don't. I know they don't. But if they start doing that to that extreme, all of a sudden, my feelings change about it. And, Especially and if it's all they're doing. Well, it's not, it's not even the all. It's if they allow uh, a channel on there about let's overthrow governments, let's, let's assassinate people, mm -hmm. let's do. If it goes to that extreme and they're actually paying for that content to be on there, chances all are right. I'm gonna move yeah. to a different, a different format. So that's yeah. where the controversy is, is where is, where is your limit? Is it okay to murder? No, it's not okay to kill people. If somebody has a gun to your child's head and the only way to save them is to do it, then you have to decide for yourself if all of a sudden you found the exception. I think we would. Most would. I yeah. know I know some who wouldn't. The ultra pacifist doesn't. They, they yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. You know, and I, so, think, I think the big thing is, is that this world is so diverse in mm -hmm. what we will accept, what we believe. Yeah. And yeah. brands are jumping onto wagons that maybe they shouldn't be jumping onto. Yeah. And, and again, this all this all ties back into the conversation, because if you know the people in this world and, and not from a demographic, but from a value perspective, we don't really talk much demographics in our business because demographics are kind of bullshit. They're done. Um, yeah. But but when when you understand that what people value about the benefit you bring to market and you speak that language, you meet them at their model of the world and bring them towards yours. That's when your brand is powerful. There's, and I have an interview on, on, on my podcast, a guy actually from Vancouver. He used to be in the marketing business for apartment buildings. They build these massive sky rise apartment buildings in Vancouver. And they would say, our demographic is, is this, this, and this. And he would do these marketing plans and the buildings would completely sell out. And then one day he got curious and he went back to look at who bought the apartments. And none of the people who bought the apartments were in the demographic he was marketing to. Yeah. They sold without his very expensive services and he created a whole business around how how to understand the values people are looking for and how it relates and what are those key words for the marketing strategies he really helped a lot of businesses grow and that's very important because like keyword research is so available now mm -hmm. but you first have to know yourself and your own <laughs> yep. values and where you're going to fit and mm -hmm. then you have to look at okay what are they actually searching for yep what words are they really using to find me? Yep. And the beauty of it is you then avoid the pitfalls of uh, the un unconscious biases that go into most of the marketing strategies. Are in your ability, in your quest to go after a specific demographic, are you alienating races, genders, uh, ulterior mindsets that yep. don't fit that demographic, but would be great consumers for you? Exactly. It's one thing if you are a brand that is already like you sell a product you think is specifically mm -hmm. for the black market mm -hmm. and you, you really want your customers and you, and you talk about the, that, that culture and their life and everything. And then all of a sudden we have the Black Lives Movement. It makes sense for your brand to then become a part of that. Mm -hmm. But all these brands that are kind of jumping on these trends, <laughs> 
bandwagons because they're the trendy thing to do. We might get some good PR. Is that yep. going to work for brands? Yeah, years ago, I was at a trade show for the vending industry, vending machine industry, when I was in the, doing adhesives that were involved in that business. And they had a, a guest speaker, a famous basketball player from the States, Magic. Magic Johnson? That's it. That's it. Johnson. <laughs> and he at one time, he's a major investor in businesses and stuff, and he has a big stake in, in the vending industry now. But at one time, he owned a whole bunch of Starbucks in the inner city. And when he talked to Starbucks, I remember him talking about it. Starbucks was really sort of apprehensive about these neighborhoods. Yes. And he his argument back was, well, black people like coffee too. They may not know what a scone is, but we certainly can change what we do in, in the Starbucks store in terms of the food offerings yeah. to, to, to get them in. But it turns out it's not just for white people. That's he was great. very successful and grew the business. I believe he sold it for a significant profit. Mm -hmm. But he recognized that the demographic that Starbucks was selling to was white people with money. Mm -hmm. And it turns out, you know what? I'll tell you a secret. Black people have money too. Lots and lots of, of wonderful people in my life are also having great lives and, and being successful. Yeah. And, and they like coffee. So, and they like coffee. Yeah. We've had a few Starbucks shut down thanks to COVID. Mm -hmm. So... But can't. But Vancouver had too many of them. To be. <laughs> yeah, not really. Not really a brand that I'm a big fan of. But yeah, you know, but very successful. it is a successful brand, and it is West Coast brand, and Vancouver does have a lot of them. But uh, yep. anyway, it's about four thirty. We're coming up on the hour, and oh, I yeah. bangled. Yes. What do you want people to know? One last time. I want to. I want you to know that we're in the business of helping the stuck get unstuck and grow like crazy. We network in about 120 countries that I've worked in over the years and can really help companies create a global brand that's successful and, and well thought out and strategic because we're strategy first, converting every touch to voracious advocates for your brand. And is there anything, any type of business that you're looking for right now that you would like to be partnering with? Our strength is really in the industrial and post-industrial space, mm -hmm. but we've worked in so many different areas. What we really look for are interesting products that really understand the problem they solve or need someone to help them figure that out. I know that you can help them figure that out. Known yeah, you for a while now, and I'm pretty sure that uh, you've got some really good ideas in there. So <laughs> thanks so much. I, I had a blast. <laughs> thanks for inviting me on. Thank you for coming by. I, you know, we've got to touch base more often, but it's been, I took a year off and glad to be back. Yeah, it's great to see you. This is Shannon Appeal of Market Appeal, and you've been listening to the podcast Brand Appeal, brand storytelling in the digital age. If you have a brand story that you would like to share on Brand Appeal, please feel free to drop by my website, marketappeal.com, and let me know your brand story.